Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Mile 11 of the Seconds Flat Running podcast presented by Run In. And we are kicking off our fall marathon and half marathon training series with you on this episode. Before we jump into tonight's edition, which will be on tempo runs, what are they and how do we use them in our marathon and half marathon training? Let's first take a look at the fall marathon elite fields. The races are set. We have all kinds of elite runners registered to get to the line in September, October, and November for the fall's biggest races, including the World Marathon Majors. So, first up on the calendar is the Berlin Marathon on September 16th, an A-list of all-stars led by the unparalleled Elliot Kipchoge. The running monk. The running monk will be making his attempt at the world record. He has flirted with it many a time and actually ran a faster time in 2017 in the spring on the Monza test track for the Nike Breaking 2 event. He will be challenged by a member of that Breaking 2 cohort. The half marathon world record holder. Yes, Zersene Tedese will be there. And his world record in the half marathon may be getting a threat on that same day. So we'll talk about that in just a minute as a good field is lined up to attack that. We definitely look for Tedese to finally nail the nutrition, which he struggled with in the past. Yeah, that has been an issue for a guy who is so good over 13.1 and hasn't been able to translate it, but has a best in the 206 range. Also, the world record holders in the race. Yes, Wilson Kipsang, former world record holder, Dennis Kometo, current world record holder, are both in the field. Kometo has said that he is back to win Berlin and break his own world record, although recent results might suggest otherwise. We haven't seen anything that would say that he's in world record shape. On the women's side, Tiranish Dababa, big fans of Tiranish Dababa. <laughs> three-time Olympic gold medalist and 5K world record holder. 217 marathoner. She was the winner last year at Chicago, and she Mm -hmm. will be in Berlin this fall. And she'll get challenged by several other world-class ladies. Uh, Gladys Torono, who has won that race twice. No one knows that course better. That is well said. And Edna Kiplagat, a two-time world champion who has won all kinds of world marathon majors. She has victories in New York City, London, and Boston. On that same day in Copenhagen, we will have a great field for the half marathon as they make an effort at a new world record, and we might also see an American record in the men's race. Galen Rupp is there in his pre-Chicago prep, so we'll get into the elite Chicago field here in a moment, but Rupp will be looking to once again dip below the one-hour barrier for the half marathon, and there is a whole field of sub-60 guys lined up for that one, so that could be a lot of fun. His teammate Jordan Essay, who is also going to be in Chicago, is on the start list. We haven't seen her race in quite a while as she pulled out late from Boston with an injury. The day of. Right beforehand. So we haven't seen Hesse run uh, competitively in quite a while, but hopefully we get to see both of them on a fast track in Copenhagen. On to Chicago, which I think is the strongest men's field of the fall marathons. Ooh. Yeah, we're locked and loaded in Chicago, in my opinion, for the men's race. You have the Boston champ, the citizen runner, our boy Yuki is back, Yuki Kawauchi, well soon, said. soon to turn professional to give up his teaching career. Uh, Rupp will be there. He's your defending champion. And you got some spicy competition. We've mentioned this before in our Dream Race episode. Gosh, sir... Mohamed Farah. All right, former Rupp training partner with the Nike Oregon Project, who now has the British marathon record. And you got to think Rupp is going to be looking for an American marathon record to potentially go with a attempt at a half marathon record a few weeks before that in Copenhagen. Will there be pacers in Chicago? Yeah, that's the question. Now, they've taken them away recently, but there is a lot of talent here and some guys who are willing to push the pace. It's a little deeper field than it's been recently, so I hope we see good times. I think we will. Because with this high level of competition, you have this divide where one side of these guys are like, 
this is training for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. This is, I can test, like, especially with Mo and Galen going head to head at the marathon for the first time, learning how each other's run, their strengths and weaknesses, or they can go for this time because the field's so deep. So it's like, is it going to be a tactical affair? Are they going to go for time? Cause or do they have to, to do, do both? To win. Do you have to be fast and then add the tactics in it to win? Because it's not just those guys. Uh, Jeffrey Karui is there. All right. He was your Boston champ in 2017. He led to late in the race this year. Also won the world championship in 2017. Dixon Chumba is there off a win in Tokyo to begin his year. And uh, Abel Karui is there as well, who last pushed. Year's second place. That's right. Year. He pushed Rupp last year. He was the last guy to fade off of Rupp. Um, there's also a nice field of next-level American runners here. Yeah, I do awesome. have to say I'm calling a big upset. Hit it. At Chicago. A former run-in employee Uh-oh. and former ASICS Greenville Track Club elite member, uh, Ryan Root. Local legend. Is the slowest guy to make it in the men's elite field. But he's there, baby. He's there. And that guy can make his dreams a reality. Let me tell you. And Flat Course has his name written all over it, right? Absolutely. Yep. So maybe he just goes out and wins. Why not? He's got the mustache to win. There it is. Also in Chicago on October 5th, we have the women's field led by a strong group of Americans. So we mentioned Jordan Essay will be there. She has the American record for a debut women's marathon. We're going to see kind of the new and improved debut of Gwen Jorgensen. She's run the distance before, but now she has switched over from Olympic triathlon gold medalist to full-time Bowerman babe with the Bowerman Track Club, making her attempt for the 2020 marathon team at the Olympics. Amy Cragg will be there. She has a ninth-place Olympic Games finish under her belt already and was third earlier this year in Tokyo. Uh, bronze last year at the World Championships. Is that a PR in Tokyo? Yes. So she is among a group here of women who have moved into, we're talking top 10 all-time Americans, that mm. she is in that group. And uh, Laura Thweet, who went sixth at London last year, 2017, had to take some time off with injury, but she's in that group as well. So a stronger uh, American field here at Chicago for the women where with the men we have a balance of you see Rupp, you see some next-level strong American talent. Um, a guy we didn't mention, Tyler McCandless, maybe my favorite American marathoner because he has a Ph.D. in meteorology. As an amateur weatherman myself, I wouldn't mind going and chasing a storm with old Tyler sometime, but we'll see. Tyler, if you're listening, seconds flat singlet, me, you. Eric Avila, Noah Lyles, Ahmad Nesbitt, Maximilian. Why not? Let's get together maybe in some sort of plain state. Kansas, Oklahoma, late spring, chase a tornado. It sounds like a heck of an evening. Uh, McCandless was second last year at uh, CIM in the U.S. Marathon Champs. So uh, he broke through into the 212 range last year. Now, moving forward then another month, of course, it's New York in November. yeah. That's right. To quote last year's winner, she'll be back on November 4th this year. Shalane Flanagan is part of what I believe to be the best women's field of the fall marathons. And this year, not only will she be running fast, she'll be eating fast. New book out recently, but she already was. It's eat slow, right? I think it was, but the new one is eat fast. They're quick meals on the go. Oh, I love it. Yeah, little plug for you. Yeah, Shalane. Like to have a copy of that if it's available. I'll send you the link. (laughs) Thanks, sweetie. Challenging Shalane will be three-time champion Mary Katani, who is the second fastest women's marathoner ever. Boston champ Des Linden will be there. We'll get to see Molly Huddle, American record holder at the 10K and the half marathon. She moved up uh, for Boston and certainly didn't benefit from some terrible conditions, so we'll see if she gets something more favorable. Can I say the next contender's name? Before you do that, I'd like to add that a lot of people think Molly Huddle is due to be the breakout American at some point in the marathon. So there is, I agree with that there's statement. There's high expectations here for Molly. Uh, who's next? Allie Kiefer. Allie Kiefer. What who, a fun gal. Who was fifth last year, kind of out of nowhere, fifth place finish last year. 
Dealt with some injuries afterward, but she will be back in New York City. We get to see full-time nurse Sarah Sellers, who was second in Boston. Sarah Sellers second. And 2018 London Marathon champ Vivian Chariot will be there as well. So that is a stacked field for the ladies at New York in all five boroughs in early November. And on the men's side, you have defending champion and the 2018 World Half Marathon champ Jeffrey Camor. We are huge fans here. Oh, gosh, yeah. Love to see another victory for him. Bernard Lagat making his marathon debut. At 43 years old. Yeah, so how will he push the marathon master's mark in America of Meb Kofleski? Is that 2.13? Yeah, so so we'll see what he can do. His half marathon time in the 62-minute range would translate. This is a little more difficult course here in New York. We're not going flat. We're dealing with some hills, but that would be really interesting to see. You have two-time champion from Boston, Lalisa DeSisa. And uh, 2017 London Marathon champion Daniel Wanjiru. And then run-in favorite, friend of the show, Jared Ward, sixth place at the Olympics in 2016. That's a whole bunch of elites we just went through there. We will get into those races more as they are near and then talk about the results. Last one we'll add is the U.S. Marathon Championships will be back in California this year at the California International Marathon on December 2nd. So we'll see a lot of the next tier of Americans, particularly on the men's side, because we're stronger with the women's runners right now. It'd be interesting to see who's there. I know some of the top guys from CIM last year are in that Chicago field. For instance, uh, Travis, who's sponsored by the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. I will be in the Seconds Flat singlet at CIM, barring further poison ivy-induced allergy reactions this fall. However, I will not be in the elite field, but thank you for that, Benjamin. Always a bunch of people chasing Olympic trials qualifying times at CIM in December. So let's hope for good weather and fast times in all those races. Now let's talk about how we can get you toward the finish line in your half marathon or marathon. Maybe it's the first time and you just want to cross the line. Maybe it's the fifth time and you want it to be the fastest. We're going to add some advice here on how to incorporate one of the most common workouts in half marathon and marathon training and one of the most beneficial to both. That is the tempo run. You've likely heard of it by this point if you've done enough marathon or half marathon training, but it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Let's try to first kind of define what tempo running looks like, what it means, and maybe from the historical, more textbook textbook perspective of some of the great coaches of the past. Benji, what do the legends say when we talk about tempo or threshold training? So let's start with legendary Australian coach Arthur Lydiard. In his book, uh, Running to the Top, He actually never uses the term tempo running, but calls it by its two synonymous names. Sure. And he refers to them as steady state or aerobic threshold. What he has to say is everyone, according to his or her physical condition, is able to assimilate from the air, transport, and use a limited amount of oxygen every minute. This limit can be increased through exercise. Your limit in using this oxygen this way is called your maximum steady state or aerobic threshold. His opinion is that this is the maximum amount of oxygen that your body can use during a set duration. So, Lydiard is one of the godfathers of distance training. He is really the foundation from which we often refer to our base phase of training, from which that terminology began, and people have built on it since. It's interesting, he uses the terms, uh, terms like steady state and aerobic threshold, I think most people would associate those with more like running at your marathon pace. And I don't know that that necessarily coalesces with his definition because his definition... The terms have evolved. Yeah, the the terms have evolved. His definition sounds a little bit more like VO2 max training, which we will come back to momentarily and better define for you because that can help you lay out what paces you should be doing tempo training at. Uh, What about a more recent legend in the field? What does Jack Daniels think? So Jack Daniels refers to it as threshold running or his T-pace if you look at his running training pace charts. And he says the intensity of a threshold run 
should be run comfortably hard, which means you're working relatively hard, but it's manageable for a very long time. Um, so if you were in practice, this would be about 20 or 30 minutes in duration. But ideally, it's the pace you would run for about an hour. Yeah. He says that the physiological benefit is that it allows your body to improve its ability to clear blood lactate, and then it also improves your endurance. Okay, so we heard a lot of important terms in that piece that Ben just read for us from Daniels from his legendary running formula. And we will, all the resources that we mentioned tonight, we will link in the show notes, whether they are in text or online form, so that you can access those if you'd like to. He mentioned uh, comfortably hard running, which I'll get into a little bit more in my definition. That's certainly more of a feel perspective. Yes. He also refers to one hour pace. This is actually something used to be quite popular, but we don't do a lot of in modern running. So we're going to try to later on here for you associate that with different race distances that you may have run that you could kind of use to ballpark your pace. And then he references the clearing of blood lactate. So now we hear this more scientific definition and approach from Daniels, which makes sense. He's a PhD in addition to his great career as a running coach. So he has a very scientific background and and slant to his style of coaching. What I love about his uh, journaling of threshold running Mm -hmm. is that he has two different perspectives on the matter, where he does have this kind of artistry like the feel of running comfortably hard but he also has a prescription of that this should be about 86 to 88 percent of your vo2 max which for anyone who's unfamiliar with what that would look like it would be like a two mile race yeah so we're going to get into that in just a minute then of how you calculate vo2 max and how you might use his paces uh one thing i will say to go back to the blood lactate comment that that's uh, the science there is somewhat murky on exactly what point that is for each person it's individualized and you can do it in a laboratory testing setting to figure out exactly when you reach that point in, in your blood lactate level as coach gary from Furman mentioned in last week's episode that they do in the, in the lab at first but for the average person, it's kind of that moment that you've felt when you uh, see that acidity seeping into the bloodstream, and you know that feeling in your legs and arms as you're running. Now, to the point that Ben made on both the, the artistry and the science, to me, that's the essential way for you as a runner to determine what a tempo run means to you and its definition. You know, we can talk about it in this lactate threshold or an aerobic threshold, which are different numbers, different paces, and different feels. So it's about both the artistry in the feel, in feeling your level of effort, knowing that something is, as you said to quote uh, Dr. Daniels, comfortably hard. It's challenging, but I can do it. I can manage it. I'm not racing. I'm not all out. I'm pushing myself, but I end it feeling like, you know what, if I had to, I could probably run another mile. Sometimes that's a cue that can be used. It's also feel in a different way. It's how do you feel that day? And so it's really important to give yourself a bit of a range in your tempo running. Don't get too locked into any specific number because the day may dictate a different number. In our interview with Christo Landry, He really backs up what you just said. And when he's talking about how he does his tempo runs at 450 pace, but one day it could be windy or it could be raining and he just knows it's early in a training cycle and he just goes by feel and he's fine if it's 505 pace that day. There's a lot of uncontrollables and knowing where you are in a training cycle, that pace evolves as you go through. A tempo pace is never going to be stagnant and it's not going to look the same every single time. Yeah, so what's the value in if if your tempo pace in in Christo's case is somewhere around 450? What if the day necessitates a slower pace, you don't feel right, the weather's bad, all those conditions, as you mentioned, that you can't control, and you go and just drive yourself into a hole trying to run 450? It's not a tempo run anymore. You've worked too hard. You may have just blown up the entire purpose of your workout. You just raced. Yeah, you did. You just raced. That's exactly right. To get to the numbers side of this, to, to look at actual paces, how can we determine specific paces 
that we want to use that then you can start to associate certain feelings with and that you can adapt if needed when you don't feel right. I love to use a chart uh, that was presented by uh, Derek Stanley at the U.S. Track and Field and Cross Country Coaches Association convention a few years ago. And you can find similar stuff on the internet, but we'll link his uh, because it is still available from his symposium. He begins by determining VO2 pace, velocity at VO2 max, or the velocity of your maximum oxygen uptake. For most folks, this is determined well by a race at the two mile-ish to 3K distance, so 3,000 to 3,200 meters, somewhere in there, because the amount of time it takes you to run that distance is a really good way to determine your VO2 max. Now, training at that pace is going to increase your ability to take in more and use more oxygen through your heart, increase your stroke volume, things like that. However, it's a very demanding pace to run at, and it's also not necessarily closely related with the distances we're talking about training for. If you're training for a half marathon or a marathon, 3K pace or two-mile pace might be a little far off to the extreme a spot that you don't want to run in a lot. So we can take that then, and this is often why I will have athletes I work with who are training for a longer race run early on in the training a test race as a time trial. So it's hard to find a good two mile for the average working man to jump in. Unless you're in high school track, you don't see it a lot. But you can find the local 5K and kind of reverse engineer along the chart to get your VO2 max. Let's just take a hypothetical here. Let's say you run two miles in 12 minutes or six minutes per mile. Using that as our barometer, on Stanley's chart, he'll note that, and this is generally agreed upon to be close in this range, you tend to run at about 97% of VO2 max for a 5K. In our example, that'd be 6.11 a mile. You run at 93% of VO2 max for a 10K, or in our case, 6.27 per mile. You can use those paces for your 5K pace repeats or your 10K pace repeats, and he extends his chart out all the way down to 65%. And that gives us the full array of tempo paces because you can work runs that get referred to as tempo runs at everything from what is called critical velocity by the Tin Man, who we'll talk about Coach Schwartz in just a minute. And that might be somewhere in like your 8K pace range, but it's run as intervals, and that's faster than most tempo running all the way down to marathon pace and even slightly slower. So you can adjust based on percentages here on this chart to kind of for yourself construct paces that work in your training. So you don't just have to be dependent on what a textbook and training log tell you are your tempo paces. But those options are out there as well. So Ben, for example, Coach Daniels goes on and using his system, you can set what he considers, as you mentioned earlier, that T-pace. So you want to give an example there for the T-pace? Sure. Um, So say we were going by a marathon time, and you ran 3.01 for the marathon. You are on his table as a V-dot of 53. Um, So if you take that 53 V-dot and go to the corresponding table, he lays out all different training paces for you. And that T-pace is going to look like a 6.32 mile. The V-dot corresponds to races, not just at the marathon distance, but on down, half, 10K, 5K. And you can just put yourself on the chart that he has, and then you can move forward in his text, and you can find corresponding training paces that he uses associated with your previous race history. So the more detailed race history you have, probably the easier it is to find your exact spot in the charts, but you can use something that's close, approximated, and realistic for you. So Travis, uh, Mm. if I'm looking at this table, and my marathon pace at that 301 is 656, Mm -hmm. and my threshold is 632, 
Would you say my spectrum for what is considered a tempo run is in between that? So I would say for the most part, most tempo running occurs at or between those paces. Okay. Now we'll talk about a little bit where you could be moving a little bit faster, but with that says, Daniel's T paces on a pretty quick end, what he considers the threshold, is generally somewhere that's probably above 90 percent uh on the on the chart according to stanley even though daniel says 86 to 88 yes so stanley's chart he puts lactate threshold development in between 84 to 88 for most people i think you're safer running on the slower end of it so that you don't make the mistake and blow up early as you start to experiment with this type of running be safe be cautious and you can learn as you go, and you're always better off being able to close strong rather than this thing blowing up a half mile in and you can't finish your workout. Talking with the evolution of the tempo run, Steve Magnus, the coach at the University of Houston, laid out the training plan for one of the guys he coaches, Will Nation. He's coached him since high school, and he recently ran a 216 marathon. And one of the notes I took away from his training was, this big point he laid out and it says don't go there until you need to go there Mm -hmm. and he says this before laying out the evolution of will's tempo runs because it starts very slow for someone who's wanting to run 520 comparatively yes he starts running at 540 pace Mm -hmm. and doesn't even work down to goal marathon pace till the end of his training cycle so definitely we would both recommend starting with a slower end towards the slower end and then, and then you can even complement that with another pace within this spectrum. So again, to go to the question that Ben asked, this tempo pace range is big. It fits everywhere on that chart, and it even leaks out over the edges of it. So to go back to the 10-man, to Coach Schwartz, and he's the coach of 10-man elite. They have some up-and-coming professionals. He's worked with plenty of high-level athletes before. He uses this critical velocity or CV pace that he developed because he found for a lot of elite runners, what we traditionally termed a tempo run was actually a little too easy for some of those folks. And so... He kicked the pace up a little bit to something that an elite runner could only run for maybe 30 or 40 minutes, as opposed to Daniel's one-hour number. And then he breaks that into intervals, all right? So that CV pace tends to correspond to maybe what you would run for an 8K race or 5 miles up to a 10K pace, depending on just how fast you are. But we'll go into some of the ways you can break those down upcoming here. But you can get on his website, runfastcoach.com, and we'll link that one in the show notes also. Type in your current fitness based on a race, and he will give you training paces. And when you look there, you'll see one called CV, you'll see one called threshold, you'll see one called tempo. As I go through those, they are moving a little bit slower with each of those paces, but they're all in the range that we're talking about, that they go from 8K all the way down through marathon pace range. So that's a great tool that you could use as well as you're trying to set your tempo run. Now, we've got some fundamentals out of the way. We've probably done just enough to confuse you to this point. (laughs) Because it's a confusing topic, and I'm sure you've been told to do a tempo run, and there's 200 different ways to do a tempo run. Yes. So we thought we'd go through some various constructs using this science, but also using some practical measures of runs that we like to employ both ourselves in our training and also with the athletes that we coach. So the most obvious is to begin with the continuous run at this pace, and this is a Daniels classic. And what is the time, again, you mentioned it earlier, Ben, that he says run at this T pace for if you're doing a continuous run? At 20 to 30 minutes. 20 to 30 minutes is very common. I think 20 to 25 is probably more commonly referenced. If you look at his training plans, actually, and no matter what level you look at for the athletes, he never goes beyond the 20-minute threshold. Yeah, so that 20-minute run tends to get some of the benefits of this running where you're increasing your ability to take in oxygen and use it. You're becoming more comfortable with being uncomfortable. It is a mental focus game as well that can be kind of draining on you. So there's a lot to take away here. 
And Professor Pierce Furman at first mentioned that as well in our interview with him about his book, Run Less, Run Faster. So you could check out that episode and hear him refer to some of the mental game that goes into a tempo run because it's hard to keep yourself focused on that continuous run at that pace. So there's a lot of value there. Uh, You could also use mile indicators uh, for some people. A three-mile tempo run is going to fall right in this range very nicely. A four-mile tends to be a little bit more of a push, and if you're if you're a more advanced runner going for that faster marathon or half marathon, running this for four miles continuous could be beneficial to you. I am going to say where I fall on the pace that I would most likely run this. I think that you can say Daniel's for an hour is fine, but... I think it is most beneficial to do these runs somewhere around half marathon pace. Seems like a safer bet. It is a safe space, much like our studio. And you're going to develop well there. You may want to use a goal half marathon pace, so it might be pushing it a little bit more. Because for most folks, it does fall a little faster than your half marathon. There's not a lot of 15K racing out there, but you could use that if you have it. It's a little slower than your 10K pace for sure. So it's somewhere in that range, but if you do some work around half marathon pace, that's typically pretty safe. What tends to happen here, especially for folks racing the shorter distance here, racing the half, you might be moving up from a 10K or 5K, and you're training for that. If you run the fast end of the tempo, That looks too similar to what you're doing on your other workout days for 5Ks and 10Ks, and we want some delineation here so we can work different ends of the spectrum and the paces in between. So you don't need to be stuck on, I want to do workouts at half marathon pace, I want to do workouts at 5K pace. The stuff in between is really valuable as well all right it is it's a marble cake of training it's not a layer cake we don't have to get stuck in these specific layers we can blend because there's a lot of value in between so you may alternate the paces on these as well whether you do it for time continuous or mileage if we're at that faster end if you're running with the Daniels kind of faster pace if you're getting closer to 10k pace you probably want to limit it to 20 to 25 minutes continuous or a four mile continuous if you go down to half marathon pace and run at half marathon pace we'll see people run this up to eight miles continuous at half marathon pace that's a great workout it's a challenge if you take it down to marathon pace and use marathon pace tempo running where you get locked into that feel, you might run it for a full up to a half marathon. That's a great place to practice it. If you can get in a half marathon race to practice this type of running rather than doing it on your own, it's a little easier with the aid stations and the other folks running and some of the race day magic. It's a great dress rehearsal. It's absolutely a great dress rehearsal. And I know in some of his elite plans, even Coach Daniels mentions the half, the 13.1 for marathon pace. But some other groups like Brooks Hansen's will take you even a little bit longer at marathon pace. Some folks will take it up to 18 miles. Here's my opinion. 18 miles at marathon pace tells me one thing for certain. You can run 18 miles at marathon pace. (laughs) It is not necessarily just this magic golden rule indicator that you can run 26.2 at that. Running 26.2 is a product of a whole bunch of stuff. And running 18 at that pace for some folks is just going to drain you if you do it too close to your actual race. Ben, any thoughts you want to add on continuous tempo running? Yeah, my thought would be it doesn't have to be continuous. Beautiful. For example, uh, we spoke about Eloid Kipchoge earlier, who is the fastest person to ever run a marathon. And they released a sample of his training before the Berlin Marathon. I like that you said run a marathon, not race a marathon also in that. He He didn't race, really. That's right. Yes, he doesn't have the race record. I just caught that. Well said. Thank you. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. So in this training that was released... Uh, Steve Magnus actually released this on his website, thescienceofrunning.com. His big takeaway is that there's no continuous tempo run built into his training plan. His tempos actually take place during fartleks and interval sets at specific marathon pace 
And this is just a different way to get the same physiological threshold stimulus. So this is really interesting to me because I find some of the other options actually to be more effective for me and some of the athletes I work with. But to rewind, if you step outside of this box and go back to the continuous running, that is the tool that coaches like Joe Vigil and Bob Larson out at Mammoth used mm-hmm. as we kind of came out of the U.S. marathoning dark ages of the 90s. And we saw Dina Castor become a medalist. We saw Meb Kofleski emerge on the global stage. Those guys were employing the long, continuous tempo at marathon pace often. Hill often just called it his fast, continuous run. And it was a long, extended one, often more than a half marathon at elevation, with elevation gain in the run, really challenging. And they would say that it was one of the keys of kind of getting us back to what was successful and staying away from just a bunch of hard intervals. Would you credit those guys with reintroducing the distance runner to America? Wow. Um, That's a lot to say, but there's a lot of truth in it. I think that they... There's certainly, it's happening in other places, and and they're not solely responsible for it, but they did get back to that place where I, what I think they did was so great was they brought that track club mentality back to distance mm-hmm. training that served us so well, like the Greater Boston Track Club, bringing us Bill Rogers and Greg Meyer and those kind of folks under Bill Squires. So I think they're as responsible or perhaps more than anyone else we saw in the early 2000s because they adopted that and then other groups spawned as well and we've seen i mean just look at the bowerman track club right now and and what they're doing the nike oregon project that came along as well some of that really is credited to those guys at mammoth in the early 2000s and we hadn't been very successful once the east africans emerged onto the marathon stage and we're seeing ourselves being more competitive in the past decade or so went way off the rails there but i liked that question that's a great topic for another time their use of that continuous tempo they found because these some of the hard track stuff didn't seem to be working we just weren't having success we we went in a lot of ways i think a lot of 90s marathoning in the traditional mode here in the United States became a little bit of lower mileage, faster work than maybe what had been successful in the past and what we've seen be more successful now, more recently. more like 10K guys running 120 miles a week but doing 10K workouts. Yeah, there is some truth to that, I think. It's a generalization we're making, but but yeah. With that said, I think what you're pointing out with Kipchoge that's so great is... He's breaking this into intervals, but it's the effort that he's doing these intervals at, right? It's not this all-out track from a hard 400 that so many people think is the answer for every event. Give us some of the examples there of of the work Kipchoge did pre-Berlin last year. So uh, two of his most common sessions that he did was uh, 13 times, 3 minutes on, so this on would be at marathon pace or marathon effort, and then one minute float. So this would probably look just like a regular long run, easy run pace. Or he would do long intervals, which would look like 13 by 1K at his marathon pace with 90 seconds recovery. Super. So let's take them in that order because those are two other ways that you can do tempo running that are very effective. And the beauty of these two methods, the fartlek or the speed play, huge in Scandinavian running that brought us some of the all-time legends like Pavo Nermi, where you're alternating paces, shifting back and forth within your run, and intervals, tempo intervals, cruise intervals, whatever you might call them, they both allow you to get more running at this pace. And the science suggests they're just as beneficial as the continuous running. So you can get greater quantity of your quality going this route. So first to the fartlek, one that I really like that's very similar to what Kipchoge did there. I'll use it myself. Uh, It's adapted from Coach Canova, 
who has coached Olympic gold medalists in Italy and now in, he's in Africa coaching runners. He uses a warm-up followed by a one-hour block of very similar to what you just said, three minutes on, one minute steady. In my case, I do the three minutes on a little bit faster than marathon pace. And then the one minute off, it's really about that float, that steady. If you can hold that and teach your body to recover while running relatively fast and also teach your body to surge and change pace, this is so beneficial for marathoning and half marathoning, knowing that you're going to get tired, you're going to get fatigued, and you got to deal with that on tired legs. Plus, the terrain might change, the competition might surge, because we are still racing here, right? So something like that is really great. Now, that's challenging. You might put that in a little later into your cycle after you've built up to it. But you could start with something more like two minutes on at, say, half marathon pace and one minute steady and do that for the same time block. Uh, That could be really valuable. And maybe then the first one that gets you to that is really not tempo running all, but maybe it's one on where it's even a little bit faster one steady, a little bit slower than marathon pace for a certain amount of time. So you can kind of grow into that. Any other fartlek examples that you have used or or can think of that might fit into the mold here of improving you as a tempo runner? Yeah, so uh, a little bit different than Kipchoge's. Uh, Jack Daniels actually recommends some longer duration for his. Okay. He'll actually have some of his athletes, for example, what he calls a B runner, would be someone running between 40 to 70 miles a week. Mm-hmm. They would do a session such as two times 20 minutes at threshold pace with three minutes rest. A much larger chunk than Kipchoge's running at, yeah. but it's still it's not that traditional continuous 30 to 40 minute run. Yeah, that's a challenging effort to go two times 20 minutes there on a three-minute break. And that fits more into the second category of, of doing these in intervals, all right, yes. breaking them into intervals. And I would say if we wanted to get to that 40 minutes, there's a couple ways that I like to do it. I think that might be a little bit more manageable for most runners and still give you the same benefit. We are eliciting the same training adaptation, And to some degree, there is value to being more efficient, not just putting out the most effort. You might break that 40 into five by eight minutes and 60 to 90 seconds easy in between. I think I've had you do that one before. Yeah, you, uh, one of my favorite tempo runs of all time was uh, the five by 10 minute tempo with 90 seconds rest. Yeah. Someone like me who breaks down very easily when they get fatigued, uh, form just goes to crap. Benefits a lot more by doing it in these short segments where I'm able to recover a little bit in between just so I'm more efficient. It reduces the chance for injury. Yeah, uh, and you're physiologically, your body doesn't really know the difference. You're yes. still enlisting those adaptations. Uh, some other ways you could do this, you might go to, let's say you're doing it at a faster, again, like a Daniel's T pace. You might just start out with two by two miles. That's a classic that I've used mm-hmm. for a lot of runners just getting into it. And then you could always tack on a two by two plus one or a three by two as you grow into it. If you're slowing the pace down just a touch, if you're working more at like half marathon pace or goal half marathon pace, that five by eight minutes is great. Think about 40 minutes of running at mar- half marathon pace. That is a great workout. You could break it into something along the lines of 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes. When I do that one personally, I'll do the 15, and then I'll recover for 3 minutes. After each of the 10s, I'll recover for 2 minutes. Easy jogging there, and then 5 at the end. Sometimes I like to take that one and work down. I really like this as a half marathon workout. I'll end it a little faster than I started it. As a general rule, it's fairly easy to just think about putting about 60 seconds of recovery in if you do intervals like this rather than continuous. Do 60 seconds of recovery for every five minutes of effort or every mile of effort, and you're going to be right in the range of a good way to break this up into intervals. Another one I like a lot is to take the 20-minute continuous, and rather than tacking on another 20 continuous because that's really hard work, go 20 Give yourself three to four minutes of recovery. Do 12 more minutes uh, of work at the half marathon pace range. 
Now you have 32 minutes of work and that might be a plenty for your workout or potentially you could consider here adding another five minutes or even another mile if you wanted to get up towards the 40 minute mark. So those are some interval examples that are pretty successful. I think if you were to move it then slower again to marathon pace on these intervals, uh, workouts I like to use might be to break it into 5K repeats. So long repeats at that pace and a Canova workout that's great is then to put a K in that's kind of steady rather than going easy in between so that you uh, really have to again work on tired legs and then shift back to a marathon race pace. Or if you're training for uh, a marathon, another one you might want to do is like a five by two mile at marathon pace, right? So those are great ways to break it up into chunks. Those are for people who are experienced you would want to work up to that point. If you're running this for the first time, that might be too much for you in this training block. But you could work up to it with smaller intervals. Three by two miles at marathon pace is a realistic effort for a lot of people. You build, and then when you're working on your fastest marathon, you can use these distances or times. And marathon pace could be valuable, or something around it could be valuable to you even if you're training for a half marathon. With those longer intervals, we'll we'll probably, just given the time here, we'll get into a little bit more on that next week about how you can incorporate those into your long runs. But you could also put this in a progression run, right? So we'll close with that for tonight is tempo running within a progression run. So Ben, can you give people a general idea of what a progression run looks like if they're new to tempo running and haven't used a progression before? Sure. For example, like we were talking about the spectrum of marathon pace to threshold pace that Jack Daniels laid out. So for the 301 athlete, this would be starting at something like, say, 7-minute pace, and then gradually bringing it down to that 636 that was prescribed as threshold pace. Um, Steve Magnus gives a good example of what this workout could look like. He has his athlete do two by a four-mile progression, and this particular athlete started at 540 pace, then would go 530, 520, 510. Then he rested and went 540, 530, 520, 510. That's a nice example. Now, that's obviously an elite athlete based on the paces you're giving there. So for the listener, it might be 740, 730, 720, 710, or 940, whatever it is. You know, cutting down by 10 seconds like that is, is a common way you'll see it. You might drop every set number of minutes. In the Magnus case, you dropped every mile. You could drop on a certain set of maybe it's every kilometer. Also, to add to that, you mentioned runs where you're ending kind of at a tempo pace, you know, moving through the spectrum. You might move it to where you end just at marathon pace. And that could be really valuable too, especially in a longer effort. Yes. Um, You know, you may also get to the point where you lock in at marathon pace for a longer block. So you're going to start out and warm up. You start to cut down a little bit, maybe each mile. Then maybe you lock in at marathon pace for three miles. And then you try to cut it down to tempo pace or threshold pace, whatever indicator you want to use there, something faster than marathon pace. So let's be more exact, half marathon pace potentially. Maybe you're even reaching 10K pace. That's really going to challenge you. But you might go that way. Maybe you end it with a mile where you're running faster like that. The value of the progression run is it prevents you from starting out too hard. And that's a good lesson for your race. At half marathon and marathon distance, starting out too hard is probably the biggest mistake you can make. But it also ensures that you can get more value out of the workout so you don't have to bail on this thing after a couple miles and you can stretch it out and get value to it. I'd add another way to do this is um, a Brad Hudson method uh, coach uh, Hudson uses this where he will fluctuate within this range of marathon pace then a little bit faster then a little bit faster and so we get in that piece in between marathon pace and this half marathon or tempo pace that we talk about but then he'll also do those in blocks so each one is a progression that looks a little bit like coach Magnus had there and that you might do three by three miles and each one cuts down and then you go back for the second set back to where you were so working at or around 
these paces. Again, it supplements your work. There is value in between marathon and half marathon pace. These progression runs don't have to be continuous either. No. Uh, Magnus lays it out where he has his athlete do seven miles at marathon pace and then come back and do four miles, four by one mile with a specific amount of rest at half marathon pace. Yeah, so that's exactly what I was going to say in the Hudson example that I was going to add. He does that as well. So that's great to see they're both they're both incorporating that. Now, one pace we haven't talked about that works with this is the slower than marathon pace run, which for faster runners, I think becomes even more valuable. And I know Magnus uses it a lot. Uh, Coach Canova uses it a lot. I love to incorporate this. I use it for myself a ton. And that is a longer tempo where you might be at 90% of marathon pace. So let's just take the hypothetical runner. If you want to run a marathon at six minutes per mile, so you're pretty fast, you're down in the low 240 range. Six minutes translates to 360 seconds. 90% of that, Canova would really be saying take 10% off, so 36 seconds. Add that time to your marathon pace. So you'd be running at 6 minutes and 36 seconds approximately. So you could do this math for wherever you are in the spectrum. Again, it works better for the people challenging for that fastest marathon they've ever done, the more experienced folks. But you can incorporate that into your long run. So we'll get into that more next week, how you can use that in the long run, how you can incorporate all these intervals into some long runs that we really like, progression runs, tempos within, incorporating hills, all kinds of ways to build on your long run. But I think we've run out of time for for this episode. Ben, any last thoughts you want to add? I enjoyed that discussion. Tempo runs. Do them. Do them. There's incredible value here. Sometimes it's just, you got to just be simple. Like Coach Sessions just said, just do them. There's great value to be found in running somewhere around half marathon pace and then the paces to the outside of that that buttress it to both ends. Hopefully we've given you some concrete ideas you can use for a concept that is very nebulous for many folks. If you have specific questions about tempo running, please send them to us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to get into it more with you. And if you have other topics you want us to get into in this marathon cycle here that we're going to do, half marathon and marathon training episodes, we have some that we have set, but we'd love to hear your ideas. We are trying in this series to address some of the topics that all of you have been sending us in recent months. So we will pick up next week with the long run. Benji, it's been wonderful. Have a great night, my friend. You too. We will talk to you all soon. Take care.